1: Total Soccer Show, and our review of the Champions League round of 16 first leg so far. Mm, rolls right off the tongue. Man City made some gains with a decent victory over some decent dames. Real Madrid's progress is looking shrewd after a goal from the man who replaced Jude. PSG are looking good to cruise into the next round, where they'll inevitably lose. And Lazio are absolutely cruising after handing Bayern a serious bruising. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today, your friend of mine, is Taylor Rocco. Hello, Taylor.
2: Hello, my friend. Uh, Your rhyming introductions are always lovely, even if you went with cruise and then also Mm. cruising.
1: I was about to call out myself (laughs) for that. That uh, I mean, they weren't in the same couplet. Is that okay? If I knew what a couplet was, I would have (laughs) thoughts. (laughs) Let's see if Grandmother knows what a couplet is. Hello, Graham. Hello, Ryan Bailey. No,
3: I don't. Elaborate. Enlighten us all. What is a couplet? A
1: rhyming couplet is... It's a little cup. Two cups, little cups that sit together and you drink tea from them. You get
3: that's the big it. European cup for the Champions
1: League, exactly. the Europa League,
3: you get the little that's couplet.
1: Right. And if you win it, Josie Mourinho gets a tattoo of it. That's how it works. <laughs> Wonderful stuff. Uh
4: Joe Lowry joining us also. Hello, Joe. Hey, guys. Yeah, we are forever calling the Europa Conference League trophy a couplet from this point forward. <laughs> uh, also, Ryan, I, I would actually like to know what a couplet is. I know it's got to be some like poetic rhyming thing because that's what we were talking about. Mm. And I can understand context clues. Mm.
1: There it is. You got it. You nailed it in one. You got it. No further explanation. I think, I think Ryan be...
4: also doesn't know what this is. is <laughs> yeah,
1: that's
2: <laughs> Joe, I think like there's a chance that it's two lines of verse usually in the same meter and joined by mm. rhyme that
4: form a unit.
2: Oh, okay. uh, yeah. yeah that. That, that, sounds,
4: that. that sounds right. Taylor. I think that that could be it.
2: Yeah. I'm not reading dictionary.com at all. That's just uh, from the hip, my friend from the hip. Let's there get into Champions League, shall we? And away from uh, rhyming verse and dictionary entries.
1: Indeed. As eloquent as ever, Taylor. Thank you very much. Before we get to those Champions League games, of course, patreon.com slash totalsoccershow, where you'll find our bonus content. Thank you very much for everybody who supports us via that medium thus far. Those people are enjoying bonus videos, bonus podcast episodes, much, much more, including access to our Discord, where all the cool kids are hanging out, plus us. We are not in the cool kids group. <laughs> Graham, Graham, you're quite cool. Is that fair? Am I? No, actually, uh, I yeah. think that's a oh, little we're, bar, we're sitting there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Staying we're on there. We are indeed, and we love it. Patreon.com slash total soccer show. Thank you very much. Indeedy. Why don't we head to East Germany? For the first game we're going to look at today. RB Leipzig's 1-0 home defeat at the hands of Real Madrid, Brahim Diaz, with a banger to make the difference in this one. He started in place of Jude Bellingham and channelled some Bellingham brilliance, evidently, at least in that moment. Uh Graham, what do we make of this one? We had a we had a controversial goal ruled out early on. Um which yeah. uh Thierry Henry was satisfied with. I'm not sure if I am.
3: Um, I can understand the reasoning. So it's because the, I can't, is, is it Sesko behind the goalkeeper? Whoever yes. it is behind, uh, Lunen touches Lunen, I, I believe. Think. I think it's yes, Heinrich's back. Sesko okay. with the goal, yeah. It's Sesko with the goal, yep. Um, so Heinrich's behind Lunin. I, I think, touches the goalkeeper. And so, uh, according to the letter of the law, that is, you know, interference, regardless of whether you are actually interfering in the, the flight of the ball or the player, whatever. I think the referee's always going to give that. But I agree. It, it felt, um, like in practical terms there wasn't much interference there and uh, perhaps the goal might have stood but as i say the law the law suggests that was the correct decision i thought in this match rb leipzig did a, a lot of things well and you could see the regret in some of the body language at full time marco rosa seemed to be very very frustrated at full time as well and that's because RB Leipzig created chances, quite a few of them. And on another night, they they score at least one of them and maybe maybe even come away with a, a win. It was a particularly great start by Leipzig. They had plenty of energy. There was that disallowed goal that you mentioned, Ryan, early on. Two really good quality chances on top of that in the first 15 minutes or so. And then after that, I thought they they carried a threat and, and Real Madrid needed Lunin to, to make a number of, of decent decent saves. In the end, it was a lesson on how you have to maximise your opportunities against Real Madrid, because even when yeah. they are not on top uh, or, or in top gear, they will create something out of nothing, or more often than not, they will do that. And that's exactly what happened here with uh, Brahim Diaz. Performing his best messy impression, I, I think it was. Yeah. It, it's not quite uh, Jude Bellingham. Um, he's not quite rangy and tall enough to do a Jude Bellingham impression. But there was messy esque moments in that dribble and finish.
1: Yeah, fair enough. Taylor, do you agree with that assessment? I broadly agree. It's. Uh, I won't go as far as saying it was vibesy from Real Madrid, but certainly they. Uh, they maximise the opportunity.
2: Yeah, I think I agree with uh, both of Graham's takes. Starting with Leipzig, th- this is a recurring thing in my mind with them, at least in the last few games, starting with their loss to Eintracht Frankfurt, that they have clear ideas of how they want to play, how they want to set up to both uh, sort of accentuate their strengths and then also nullify the opposition strengths. And I think they do that for large stretches, but they're not able to turn those into like really good goal-scoring opportunities. I felt like this was another case of that in this game where they're playing really well. At times it felt like Madrid were sort of completely overwhelmed through the middle by the way Leipzig set up and tried to possess. But they in the final third, you just don't get many clear cut opportunities. And and I wonder if that's maybe needing more talent in the transfer window, if that's maybe needing more time to develop Uh, ways of attacking but at this point in the season you would expect they could string together a few more shots on target uh, much as Joe loves that stat Uh, but the way they go about losing to Frankfurt Leverkusen and then I forget who the third team was in, in rapid succession the Bundesliga this felt like a continuation of that played well had a good idea for how they wanted to to sort of limit what Real Madrid were doing but at the same time couldn't take their opportunities, didn't create enough opportunities, and for Madrid, give them enough time and somebody will do something. It felt like they were set up for it to be Vinicius Jr. out wide in iso ball, and then it just ends up being Brahim Diaz instead, who did some really interesting things in this game with where he was taking up positions and how he was playing. I thought it was another sort of, if not masterstroke, just another very comprehensively well-coached game from Carlo Ancelotti and well-executed game from Madrid.
4: Yeah, it it was a very Real Madrid performance, which is to say, like, they get the job done. It wasn't always glamorous, but they did enough, and I think we're probably the better team on balance. I I think Leipzig, though, are the big story here because I thought they showed so well for so much of this game while still agreeing with Graham, your assessment, and Taylor, your assessment as well. I thought Leipzig showed enough to get a result in this game. Unfortunately, Raheem Diaz, Real Madrid, did his way through and got Real Madrid three points along the way, basically, in this tie. Like this, this performance from from Leipzig, I, I thought stood out really in the final third. They played right through Real Madrid's press. They were really, really struggling Real Madrid to actually shut down Leipzig's build up play. And Benjamin Sesko, I don't know if you stood out to anybody else in this game. Twenty year old striker, Slovenian international, came straight from from Salzburg to Leipzig in the last transfer in the in the summer transfer window. After scoring what I think like 16 goals in the Austrian Bundesliga is a very, very promising talent. He didn't get the ball in the back of the net in this game. Taylor well, he did. sort of, to your, to your, well, true, he did and it was disallowed. But he, he was always around these dangerous moments. And Taylor, I think you mentioned something about maybe Leipzig just needing time to develop. And I think that is probably part of this. And the unfortunate part about the climate over in Europe on the soccer landscape side of things is that Leipzig don't often get to see their cycle of of talent Mm -hmm. development like reach its conclusion. Xavi Simons is 20 years old. Benjamin Sesco is 20 years old. Luis Openda is 23 years old. Danny Olmo was the fourth starter there in their 4-2-2-2 shape, those those top two lines of two. like All those players are absolutely fantastic. And it really was Sesco, for me, that that was the best player in terms of his movement off the ball, his timing in the box. They just didn't get the ball in the back of the net. He could not finish in those key moments. And that, when you're playing Real Madrid... Is not good enough, and that in general when you're Leipzig and hoping to make a run before you get rated for talent is is also not good enough.
3: Those two things that you just mentioned there, Joe, about Sesko, his uh, his movement in the box and his, his his timing off the ball or what I think it was the other way yeah, around you sure. might have actually said. But anyway, those are the two things that stood out for me with him. And he is a player who's who's, you know, on the radar pretty prominently. I always liken him to I always think of him in the same breadth as, as Rasmus Hoyland, because I think Manchester United were looking at both of them and similar sort of career arcs to this point. So there's a lot to like about Benjamin Sesko, and it was his movement and appenders movement as well, the, the way that the both of them were, were working together. And Real Madrid really weren't sure of Appenda's movement when he was coming out from the front line, and that was fragmenting Carvajal and Chuimene and then the space would open up down the channels. And in particular, the half space between Nacho and, and Mondi was, was where Leipzig were able to consistently feed the ball. Where I wasn't so warm on Sesko was in some of his finishing, where yeah. it felt like a lot <laughs> of the time he was just smashing the ball as hard as he could at, at the Real Madrid goal. And sometimes that works, but Andre Lunen has a, a pretty solid performance in, in in this game. There was also a Danny Almo chance where he is just wild in the way that he lashes it high and wide from, from inside the box. And that just brings me back to my original point of if, if you're going to get a result against Real Madrid okay, their XG in this game is 1.29. I felt like it might have actually been a little bit higher watching this game. I was I was a little bit surprised it was as low as that. But even with 1.29 XG against Real Madrid, you probably need to be making that count in some way.
2: Yeah, that's exactly where I am on Sesco. Uh, a player that I like but thought, honestly, underperformed in this game. So, Joe, I'm happy that you were positive on him. So he, if he's listening, which I'm sure he is, he can at least have that positive. Yeah. Uh, because for me, I felt like after that goal is disallowed, I don't know if it hit his confidence, but it just felt like he wasn't as clean in his decision-making. He has like some shots that maybe are from the wrong angle or from a very tight angle. He has some... He has the lifted pass over the top that doesn't come off. He has a few miscontrols that go out of bounds. It just felt like he had moments of, of flashy goodness, but then I think a failure to like fully execute, which I think does speak to the, the youth aspect and the lack of development aspect. So I do wish that they had more time together because I think this team could be very good. Maybe at this time next season, if they're able to keep everybody, which seems very unlikely. I do think that they could develop into a really strong team, both in the Bundesliga and the Champions League, because I thought chesco this season has been strong. I, again, I didn't love his performance on the night, but I thought Xavi Simons, or simmons I'm still not entirely sure, uh, was, <laughs> was excellent in this game, and he was the one that I really kept uh, finding myself drawn to. The way he would... Uh, Step high in defense, but then also sit off the way he kept sort of probing for pockets of space and usually finding those pockets of space and knowing exactly what his role was in the midfield. I I thought he just he conducted things really well. He was a a dynamic playmaker that I felt like Real Madrid really struggled to limit uh, until Danny Carvajal tried to break his legs. Um, (laughs) But but (laughs) I I think there were there were just moments of individual quality, moments of team quality from Leipzig. I think I just come away from this one frustrated that they weren't able to get something in the end weren't able to convert some of those chances because otherwise i thought this was a really good game from them and to joe's point they really effectively played out of madrid's press and put people in the right position so that madrid were overwhelmed when they would swarm and then overwhelmed when they wouldn't swarm and and so again i guess that ends up being a credit to madrid for having the quality to find a way through it felt to me like they were setting up for this game to be nil nil then they'll go back to the and win 2-0 or 3-1 or something like that. Now they don't even have to worry about that, and I do sort of feel like this one might be over. Uh, Graham, how are you feeling about the return leg?
3: I think if RB Leipzig are able to replicate a lot of what they they did in this match, they'll they'll have a, an opportunity. There are other ties in this round where I feel like it's the second game's going to be a dead rubber. <coughs> Copenhagen. Sorry. Might <laughs> say Copenhagen, yeah. That, that's <laughs> the one. Um, but, yeah, Real Madrid, we have seen flawed performances from them um, at home before in the Champions League, particularly against teams that are as good in transition as Leipzig are. So I wouldn't write them off just yet. But I agree, it feels like Real Madrid are going to Real Madrid their way through this this tie and
2: quite comfortably make the quarterfinals. Yeah. One yeah. one other thing for people to watch in that second leg, uh, if uh, Simakan starts at right back again, who I believe is naturally a centre back. He seemed the least familiar with his assignments and he still did fine. But I felt like there was, there were times when he was maybe a second or two late or a couple seconds to, to close down or a couple seconds late dropping in. And it felt like as the game went on, Vinicius Jr. was sort of building his argument for why he was about to score. And then he doesn't end up doing so. But I think in that second leg, if it's still Simicon versus Vinicius, I think that will be
4: an area of emphasis for Real Madrid to cut in there. Semicon suspended for that second leg. So it go. won't Never be, mind. but there Not you go. But issue. it's still a valid point. <laughs> Defending against Vinicius Jr. is very, very hard. Ryan, you haven't gotten a word in edgewise in like 10 minutes. And I'm going to keep it that way for just one more minute. Attaboy, Joe. Uh, Real Madrid, uh, to be honest, I don't think they did anything well in this game. Like, and that's why I feel like the story is RB Leipzig because how many times have we been able to say that about Real Madrid, especially in the Champions League, and they continue marching and continue winning games and continue winning trophies. That is the thing with Real Madrid. And and this game absolutely fit into that bucket. I don't think they were sharp playing through Leipzig's press. And their press in particular, we've mentioned it a couple of times now, was atrocious to the point where they sort of ended up dropping their line of confrontation a little bit as the game wore on. Because I I genuinely don't think you can press with this group of players. I don't think you can press without Jude Bellingham eating up some of the ground as this sort of rangy presence at the top of the shape of the top of the diamond. And and I don't know that you can press with Tony Kroos as your number six. And I don't know... That you can press when you don't have any of your first-choice center backs fit either. As this competition wears on, one thing that I'm watching for, less so in the next leg because Real Madrid now have the goal advantage, and and I think we're all expecting them to get the job done at the Bernabeu. But I'm curious, as the tournament goes on, we get to the quarterfinals, etc., do teams expose Real Madrid's defensive ability? Because they've, they've not really ever been known as an elite defensive team, and I think especially with this group of players, they are vulnerable against the ball if they get overextended.
1: Joe, the old the old adage, the old cliche, is that you know great teams they grind out one nil away wins when not playing well. So who knows? Maybe they'll ride this one to the final. Uh, we yep. shall see. Uh, but Joe, you think there's some soccer left in this one for the second leg, then?
4: Yeah, I do. Leipzig showed enough that makes me think you know they're they're not absolutely finished yet. I, I would not be foolish enough to bet on them and and like actually have any skin in the game. But I, I think there is a world where Leipzig get the job done and and somehow advance. But I don't think there are very many of those worlds.
1: Uh, Taylor, you did mention uh, briefly my favorite moment of the game, the Danny Carvajal reducer Ridiculous. on Chevy Simmons, Simons. Um, just the outrage that Carvajal showed <laughs> when, when Simmons was on the floor as well. The, the what did I do energy was amazing.
2: I, I am so confused by this entire sequence because like, Danny Carvajal gets up with a righteous indignation of I got all ball. And then yells at Simmons Simons as though he has taken a dive with with a degree of, like, certainty and conviction that made me think, like, he really, like did he dive? And then we watched the replay, and, and no, not at all. And it's really like, accentuated by the fact that the ball just continues its, like, hilarious trajectory. Like, it just continues to roll through in a hilarious way. Just there was a player there, and then there was no longer a player there, and the ball continued on. So the idea that Danny Carvajal came anywhere close to it is laughable but then the way he insists that not only did he get ball but that the player took a dive when he in fact tried to uh break a leg uh it didn't really try to but like definitely came in pretty hard i don't understand that sequence but i also am fascinated by it simultaneously
3: is is there a scenario where you're you go into a a tackle so hard and fast that actually you don't feel the the, the other player making contacts no. with you? I, I, I can't imagine. I'm, ju- I'm just trying to think.
2: I'm just trying to get inside the head of Danny Carvajal, which is probably not a very healthy place to be. No. But yeah, it was a baffling moment. All, honestly, all I can think is that he is a crafty veteran enough to know that you can go one of two ways. You can get up and do the apologetic like, hey, that's my bad, and hope that it's just a yellow card or hope that you're not carded by being apologetic and acknowledging a mistake. Or you can go the other direction of be so indignant that not only was it not a foul, not only did I get all ball, but this guy is diving and we gotta put a stop to this guy. It's like, (laughs) you can go the other way so that the ref maybe is like, all right, you know what? I'm not gonna card him, but also I'm not even gonna give a foul, in fact, which is what they did in this sequence. (laughs) So I guess it worked from Danny Carvajal. It was, it was some well done acting. The man deserves an Oscar. Yeah. He doubled down. Don't back down, double down. Yeah, exactly.
1: That's, That's, that's his motto. Danny, Danny Double Down. Is that canon now? Can we use that? In <laughs> yeah, let's, let's that's his that got, a lot
2: right. of, got a lot of new canon in this one. The couplet. Danny Double Down. <laughs> Simon Simmons. Like, there we go. <laughs> we're, we're Something needs to
1: ask
3: Derek Ray about that one. I'm going to tweet yeah. him after we've, we finish recording this about Xavi Simon Simmons.
1: One Let us know how that goes, Graham. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to go to Denmark and we're going to go to Paris. And we're also going to go to Rome. Back shortly. So, Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our Champions League round of sixteen roundup. Graham with a wonderful cough there as I did my intro. Thank you very much, Graham. <laughs> uh Copenhagen had a 3-1 loss at home to Manchester City. Their title defense, very much on track, is Man City's De Bruyne, Silva, and Foden with the goals there. Against a team that already beat a Manchester team at Parken back in November, a 4-3 win, Taylor remembers Thanks, fondly Ryan. from a few months ago. You're welcome. Um Graham, what do we make of this one? It's it seems like, you know, that final Foden goal, the the nail in the coffin potentially of this yeah. fixture. What are we what are we feeling?
3: Yeah, this was complete dominance from Manchester City, and the tie is essentially done. I just can't envisage any scenario where Copenhagen go to the Etihad and get a, not just a win, but a but a big win to, to to go through. All the numbers from this game are heavily tilted towards city possession, passes, big chances, expected goals. Copenhagen were actually the ones who overperformed by scoring a goal because that came out of absolutely nothing thanks to uh, a misplaced pass by Ederson. Nothing in this performance made me think that City still aren't the team to beat in this in this competition. And the tone was, was set fairly early on when City had two big opportunities within the first seven minutes. And after 20 minutes, Copenhagen had completed just 23 passes while City had had 200 in this game. So that gives you... A little bit of an idea of how this uh, went, and uh, with with some sympathy for Copenhagen, they hadn't played a a competitive match since their last game in the Champions League, Um, and I honestly think it showed in how disorganised they seemed to be early on. They did improve a little bit in that regard, but when you have City seeing so much possession and then players like De Bruyne and Grealish and Bernardo, all those guys operating in the half spaces, yeah, it was just it was too much for them in
1: the end. Yeah, Graham, uh, a, a nearly two-month winter break uh, for, for the Danish teams there for Copenhagen. Uh, is is the climate that much worse than Scotland? They can't play through winter? Or is it just a, a Danish thing?
3: Oh, uh, it depends on Scotland where you're talking about. If you're up in Sky, I would say the climate is worse in Sky than in, in Denmark. Sky. But uh, we don't have any teams in Sky. Or not the ones in the Champions League. We don't have any teams in the Champions League, whether they're they're from Sky or not. The None are <laughs> from Scotland in the Champions League. Uh, but yes, I would agree it seems a little bit heavy-handed to have such a long winter break. But hey, who am I to dictate how the Danes should play their league?
1: Yes, indeed. And Jack Grealish, of course, with a muscle injury picked up in this one. Um, Gael Kakuta yeah. uh, uh, transfer incoming right we we, we agreed on that uh, on the previous <laughs> I've, I've heard what that
4: the- they're going to reopen the window just yeah. to get that deal done Ryan <laughs> to get him to play in
3: the position he wasn't very good for a good in for yeah. Chelsea like 10 years ago yeah sure makes That's sense cool. um, that was the one negative for City beside the Ederson error which they overcame obviously but the injury to, to Jack Grealish he, he looked quite upset as he was coming off, so that could be a bad one. Um, maybe there's been some news on that since. I haven't haven't read any. But then so you have Jeremy Doku to come in, so I think they'll be fine Aww. as a team. It's just never nice well, to see is. a player upset because of a an injury, though.
1: I like Jack Relish.
3: He's like a Labrador puppy or something like that.
1: He is. With excellent hair. He got a, he got an award. Him and Olivier Giroud got an award from somewhere, I'll look up shortly, but uh, for the best hair in soccer Ooh. both of them won. <laughs> Fancy. Yeah. yeah.
3: That's the award that everyone wants. From, yeah, going- from somewhere, I'll look up shortly.
1: Straight on the fireplace, that one. It's probably from some kind of hair brand, which I don't need to mentioned. Anywho, let's go to Rome, shall we? Well, Lazio had the shock win of the round, a 1-0 win over Bayern Munich. Ciro Immobile from the penalty spot here. Uh, Bayern finishing the game with 10 men after Dai Upamecano, or oopsie Mecano, as I'm noticing the internet is calling him, uh, with a straight red <laughs> in this one. Uh, Taylor, this is no shots on target for Bayern for the first time in zero games, uh, having done the same thing over the weekend as well. Oh, boy. <laughs>
2: Yeah, it wasn't really maybe the response that we thought we might get after they were beaten at the weekend, uh, or maybe it was, depending on how frustrated you are with Thomas Tuchel. Yeah, this was not a good game from Bayern Munich. Uh, I thought it was a a pretty solid defensive game from Lazio, and I think they did a lot to frustrate the way Bayern wanted to build, the way they wanted to possess, and the, the way they wanted to create. I felt like pretty quickly we saw Harry Kane dropping very deep, which isn't itself a problem. But then as Thomas Muller started to do the same, as Musiala and Sané were sort of, again, trying to play like iso ball out wide, it just became really clear that there wasn't going to be much in the way of an attacking focal point for Bayern, that they, even if they had possession, it was going to be around midfield, that Leipzig with their midfield five were going to clog that space. And that's exactly how it went out. And, and I think for Lazio, they have to be very confident, not just of the win, but of the way they never really let Bayern have many chances. There was yeah. a few moments where they had some nice combinations and, and played some good soccer, but for the most part, this felt like a strong performance from Lazio. Thomas Muller talking about how, you know, only one nil down on the road, going home, we fancy ourselves to still get through, and and maybe they will. But I think at this point, Bayern
4: look pretty vulnerable, and I'm not sure how they turn it around in short order. Yeah, I I would echo all of those things, Taylor. It's not like the tactical stuff that's going wrong for this team is first of all, unidentifiable, and second of all, like, stuck in this in this gear forever, right? Bayern Munich can make some changes to get out of their funk, but they've been in the funk for a while now. We certainly saw it over the weekend in that in that really destruction that Leverkusen put on them, and we see it in this game as well. They weren't, like, so far and away, Bayern Munich, the second-best team on the field. I think if you strip out the penalty, and you can't really do that because it is a poor bit of defending from Bayern Munich and then Open Meccano to to sort of finish it off – but like on the whole, I thought Bayern were probably the slightly better team in this game. Lazio weren't rolling in chances on the break. They had a couple of nice looks. But but similar to what we talked about yesterday with Polisic and Leal, right? There's expectation here. You expect Bayern Munich, regardless of the circumstances, against a team like Lazio, to come in and be the better team by a, a wide margin. And when they're either dead even or just behind or just ahead, whatever it is, right? Like that that is just not good enough. And the tactical issues, Taylor, I think you got to a lot of that so well. One other thing that really stood out to me in this in this game, because it was also a problem against Bayer Leverkusen, was the lack of real verticality from this team. And I know that's difficult when you have a team that is very clearly giving you the ball, which is what Lazio did, even though they've got Mauricio Sarri as their manager. He's no fool. Um, although, you know, Real Sociedad weren't fools, and we'll talk about them later on uh, uh, in their game against PSG. But, like, Sarri handed Bayern Munich the ball and said, here, you guys have it. Do something with it. And Bayern couldn't, and we just have not seen a real willingness of uh, from from them to actually go out and stretch the line. You mentioned Kane dropping DP is always going to do that, and he's elite at that stuff. When you're, you know, Leroy Sané or Jamal Musiala or even Thomas Müller, you have to know Harry Kane is the star of this team. He dictates our attacking movement. Thomas Tuchel has to instruct, or those players have to know. Like when Kane drops in, we need someone to run and attack the box. Like we need someone to go and fill that space. And it, it happened every now and then, but the rotations were so slow for Bayern. It feels like this team is, is having to rebuild itself on the fly because somehow they've lost their identity. And we see that with them going from the 3-4-3 that we saw over the weekend, now back to a 4-2-3-1. Some noticeably different personnel in this game as well, and I don't think that's just because of rotation. Like, this team doesn't really know exactly who they are anymore, and they're sort of seeing everything slip
2: through their fingers. Yep. Uh, and, and to really emphasize that, the way this goal comes about, the way the penalty comes about, it's, it's a fast break, which I believe, strangely, is started by Leroy Sana, who goes for like a little poke tackle after Lazio have just regained possession right at the top of their box. He pokes it to, uh, to, I believe, Felipe Anderson, and then the counterattack develops from there. But it is Bayern players, like, not committing and over committing simultaneously. I think Immobile dribbles through what? Like five people? And it's not like he is, Fleet of foot and schooling people. It's just, it's like a rumbling, stumbling sort of somehow keeps the ball and then ends up playing it wide. And then in comes Upa Makano with a pretty reckless challenge and we get the penalty. But there wasn't that just sort of calm that I've come to expect from Bayern Munich or we've come to expect from Bayern Munich over the seasons. There wasn't that, like, hey, everybody just play your game. We'll, worst case, we grind this to a nil nil and then we'll win it at home. There was just a lot of panicky defending in this game and panicky moments from Bayern that I am unaccustomed to seeing. One other little thing that Joe already mentioned, but I just wanted to emphasize again. Joe, I'm glad you talked about Lazio giving the ball to Bayern. Because I struggle to think of a game in recent memory that had me feeling more like a a high school team that was desperately hanging on 1-0 up against the state champions. Just like, just get rid! Just get rid! Like, every time they weren't sure what to do. And I think it's a smart plan from Lazio. Every time they felt backed into a corner or seemed like they were maybe going to be in trouble from the press. They just went long, and they went long down the line so that it didn't go out of bounds, and Bayern would maybe get possession, or Neuer would have to come out and get the ball maybe 30 yards from his own goal. It just felt like Lazio played a very no-nonsense, no-frills game, shock of all shocks, when they're coached by Maurizio Sarri, but it worked in this game. I don't know if they can replicate this away to Bayern, because I don't think their attack looked particularly effective or efficient. They get the penalty, but even there... (laughs) In that transition, it's Felipe Anderson underplaying the ball wide to Immobile. Immobile then has that kind of fortunate rumbling, stumbling run. Then it goes to Isaacson, and then we get the penalty. I don't know how many other opportunities they were really able to create that felt like they were going to score. So I do think if Bayern score, they end up winning this tie. It's just that at this point, who knows if Bayern are going to score? Yeah. I, while
3: Latsu were doing a very good job of executing their game plan, midway through the second half, I did think to myself, how are they going to score right. a, a goal here? And then Upa Meccano helped them out with yeah. that. Luis, Luis Alberto was, was quite, you know, buzzy mm-hmm. and, and creative around the edge of the box. But beyond him, it didn't feel like they had a way to create particularly strong opportunities. So I, I think once we come out of the round of 16, um, this result won't have much of an impact in terms of Bayern I mean, uh, participation in the Champions League. I expect them to get through to the quarterfinal. This result, though, coupled with the Leverkusen performance and result, I think it's had a big impact on how Bayern Munich view Thomas Tuchel. There's a yeah. lot of reporting coming out of Germany right now that essentially they've made their mind up they're going to replace him at the end of the season. There was a report from the Times that came out um, just before we started recording that said, Bayern Munich uh, are increasingly likely to part ways with Thomas Tuchel, and the man that they want to replace Thomas Tuchel is Xabi Alonso. So maybe Liverpool won't have that 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 uh, that him to themselves this summer. Wow. So that's where I feel like the big impact from this game is is we we have seen in the past once Bayern Munich make a decision on a manager, there's no change in their mind. Sometimes they pull the trigger early, like they did with Nagelsmann, and it feels like they no matter what happens between now and the end of the season, Tuchel's not going to win them round.
2: I can't wait for the return leg that, like, in the unlikely event that Byron are winning 4-0, I can't wait for the inevitable uh, shots of the board of directors looking completely not pleased by the 4-0 win because they were maybe content with things going a different direction. Graham, we we did uh, Soccer 101 yesterday on interim managers and and who to appoint, when to appoint them, why to appoint them. Uh, and I had the argument that Hansi Flick might be one of the best interim managers uh, we've seen I believe he is currently unemployed and has priors with Bayern Munich and has priors with taking over Bayern Munich mid-season and guiding them to a treble. Should Hansi Flick take over for the rest of the season and then they can go for Chabi Alonso?
3: He's one candidate, but I say just give Thomas Müller the job. Uh, not just on an interim basis, on, on a permanent basis. That, that rant that I didn't understand the words yep. of because it was Grimm all loved that,
2: that rant. That, that <laughs> was the thing that, that got him the job, in my mind. I, um, I was in on Weekend Review. I watched that game. I watched that rant. And I was like, I, maybe I pay attention to like little moments too much, but there's a moment when Thomas Muller wanted a return pass from Harry Kane in this game and it didn't come when he wanted it to, where Harry Kane lifted it maybe over the top instead of playing it through. And Muller turns and ha- has a go at Harry Kane. And I did wonder, Like, If that was a thing we would have seen a few weeks ago, but after that loss, if Thomas Muller has decided, it's just open season on anyone who displeases him because at this point, uh, everyone is displeasing him. But it did not seem like a happy, content Bayern Munich team. Certainly not for Opa Meccano. Certainly not with this result going the way it did. Uh, Maybe Matthias Delix comes back in, who has also apparently fallen out of favor. Maybe he starts the next game and all is right with the world. But I think it's going to be a pretty compelling game no matter what happens. Do you think Thomas Muller, every time
3: Kane does something wrong or doesn't play the pass that he wants, is just muttering under his breath, so spursy, so spursy, this guy?
4: <laughs>
2: I, I, my guess would be that he's actually saying Englishman. That's, that's probably <laughs> yeah, what I think That's more is. likely. <laughs> yeah.
1: I'm, I'm not sure, Grand that uh, Thomas Muller could go into the coaching role immediately. He's only 34. I think he's got at least another 15 years of playing within him, <laughs> yeah. judging by his career so far. Uh, yeah.
3: Yeah, there's not, there's not like a, a pick of fat on him either. So what, what, the Barney Roney quote that I have cited in a couple of times was a, like a junior doctor on a fun run. That a, that always sticks in the, the memory with uh, summing up Thomas Muller's
1: general vibe. That's it. He signed up for the 10K for the time being. Uh, that, that's interesting about replacing uh, old Tommy Tooks though. He's, he's been fired for less, shall we say, <laughs> uh, in the past. So uh, very interesting to see how that I, one plays out.
2: One, yeah. one final thing. Sorry, Ryan. I, I do think it is going to be a trickier second leg for Bayern Munich because now Lazio can do even more of what they did in this game. They do not need to score. They can sit and frustrate and just get rid of the ball and make Bayern keep coming at them and then hope for Bayern to get more and more desperate and then have a counter attacking opportunity. And I mentioned it, uh, really briefly, but I want to go back to it. The way they defend in this game, they are roughly in a 4-3-3. But when they defend, uh, Felipe Anderson on the left side becomes a a left like wing back of sorts, as does Isakson on the right, and then Cataldi, uh, the the central of the three midfielders, stays a little bit deeper, and it's Luis Alberto and Matteo Guendouzi stepping out to really do sort of start some of the press to apply the pressure early, um, and then they have a really good understanding of when to step, when to drop, when to both go, when one needs to go and one needs to sit. And that's what stood out to me is how organized that midfield three was and how difficult they made life for Bayern trying to play through the middle. And I think when you then have your wide attackers sort of, again, in isolation, you can play the ball to them, but then they have to do a lot individually to create something. It's why in the second half, we saw Musiala and Sané coming much more central to try to create those overloads. And even there, I don't think that they had much joy. So I think as long as Lazio are able to replicate that, I think it will be tricky for Bayern to find a way through. So it's going to be about, I think, patience, but also aggression from Bayern in keeping the intensity up and really going at Lazio, putting them back, putting them back, putting them back, and then trying to get that opportunity or consistent opportunities. If they start slowly and are cautious and probing, I could see this nil-nil at half, and then I can see the pressure mounting and maybe Lazio getting something on the road.
1: Delicately poised for the second leg is this one. Uh, Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to go to Paris. Back shortly. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our Champions League Round of 16 review. We go now to Paris, where PSG pulled off a 2-0 win over Real Sociedad, killing Mbappé and Bradley Barcola with the goals. A great one from Barcola, actually, in this game. Um, Mbappé coming back from his ankle injury, looking good as well. Uh, Graham, PSG in control mostly here, but arguably far from the best, particularly in the first half. Um, Luis Enrique, quote, If you told me at half time we would win 2-0, I would be dancing for two hours. Um, he owes us a dance.
4: So just yeah. a specific amount of doing, time. Why, doing, why two yeah. hours? I don't, I'm so, so confused. Can stream this dance?
1: Yeah, it's a, tri- it's a Twitch, uh, uh, limitation. I believe it's two hours. <laughs> yeah, that's
3: it. I, I found this match really interesting. So if you see the scoreline 2-0, you, you might think it was just kind of a routine PSG victory. Um, but we had two matches and two nights where we had a, an underdog play a brave and ambitious game against uh superpower one of the favorites in in the tournament and and have them shaking at times, but then ultimately failed to make it count. I thought Real Sostad were really impressive in the first half; they were the better team they did have less of the ball, but I thought they did more with it, and they were really really proactive in their in their pressing. And, and the tone was set early on. I said very similar things about RB Leipzig in my analysis of them. But in the first minute, there's a shot not far wide from Andre Silva after, um, Larry Al get a good number of forwards, attackers forward, and PSG seemed a bit uncomfortable. And then there's, uh, at least two other, three other opportunities where PSG cough up the ball under pressure inside their own half in the first, in the first few minutes. Then you had this really high line, high line which allowed Real Sostad to get close to PSG whenever they did get it in the, the middle, or even you know prevent the ball from getting into that area in the first place. None of this is surprising for for This is how they've played under Eminol for, for a while now. But to do it against a Luis Enrique PSG team, who who themselves want to have the ball and strangle games with possession, and then they also have Kylian Mbappe as this dagger to get in behind this, this high line... It was very, very bold, and I think for 45 minutes, it broadly worked. But in the second half, there was a pretty big drop-off in intensity from La Real. I thought PSG adapted a little bit better to the circumstances as well. And we saw their attacking quality through uh, Kylian Mbappe and, as you mentioned, Bradley Barkler. Ryan, who, by the way, has got. Um, let me get the stat right here. He's got five combined goals and assists in his last six games. And I think about a month ago I wrote him off on this show as a bit of a bust. He'd started pretty poorly. Well, now he is a first team figure for PSG. He was rested at the weekend against Lille to come back into this into this team so he was fresh. So yeah, he's he's maybe someone that we should pay a little bit more attention because if PSG are going to go on a run. In the Champions League this season, it feels like he'll be an important player.
4: Yeah, I still just cannot get over, Graham, the guts of Emmanuel Aguacil. Like, Real Sociedad manager, I I know Real Sociedad in La Liga have been the most aggressive pressing team in, in all of Spain, right? So they, if you go and look at Opta, they have the stats, a stat called PPDA, which is passes per defensive action. And that measures how many passes you let the opposition have outside of your own defensive third before intervening with something like a tackle or an interception or a block or something, right? So passes per defensive action. Real Sociedad in La Liga allow fewer passes per defensive action than any other team in the league. This is who they are. Like, this is who Al wants them to be. And I still can't get over the absolute guts to do that against Kylian Mbappe and, and Barcala, who is rapid, and Dembele is rapid as well. Mbappe, obviously, is the real threat. The irony in this game is that that's not how Real Sociedad break. Like, that's not how PSG find their way past them. It's with Takafusa Kubo, a winger, ending up marking killing Mbappe, Whoops. killing Mbappe, in the box on a corner kick, and, and Kubo just sort of falls asleep, and Mbappe puts the ball in the back of the net with his first touch. So it is sort of a cruel ending for Real Sociedad. You almost couldn't help but get the feeling that even though PSG, I, I don't think they were good in this game, Period. They had individual moments where they were very good. As a collective, I, w- I was not impressed by them, which has sort of been the story for years with PSG, by the way. But with, with Real Sociedad, the fact that that's how they break is just so, so cruel. And you almost have to wonder if that goal doesn't find the back of the net from Mbappe on the corner kick, like maybe yeah. this ends differently.
3: Can I just interject on, on, on the first goal? Cause th- there is a bit of misfortune in that moment for L'Areal in that, um, Triori is off the pitch when that corner yeah. is taken with a, an injury. And he was the one that was meant to be marking Mbappe. So he's obviously a defensive-minded player. Eh, Taki Kubo is not a defensive-minded player. Maybe that scenario pans out differently Agreed. if it's Triori on the pitch over, over Kubo. So there's a little bit of misfortune there. I'll pass the mic to Taylor, who I think has maybe got some thoughts on uh, how PSG well, played uh, in, in this game.
2: I first wanted to ask Joe, like Joe, what weren't you impressed by? What didn't you like from PSG?
4: So I think we probably are all, are all on the same page that in the first half they struggled, right? They, mm-hmm. they didn't have a ton of success playing through the press. They had really two big chances, not even big chances. They had two chances, period, in the first half, which is less than probably all of us thought they were going to have. Mbappe gets in behind in the sixth minute, and then it's Barcola who gets a, a shot in the box off of the second phase of a set piece in the 35th minute. They just weren't super active in the first half. And I thought in the second half, even while largely agreeing with Graham that some of Sociedad's pressure dropped off... I just still didn't think they were super sharp. It, it took like Dembele being the Dembele that we always sort of thought he could be on the mm-hmm. right side, dealing with a man on his back, turning, facing up, dribbling, cutting inside, then finding a pass to the opposite side of midfield. Like it took that and, and Barkola's elite speed on the left side to get them that, that second goal. It's a good moment. I just don't know how repeatable that sort of thing is for, for PSG. So I, I just wasn't super enamored with them as in, as a collective in this game.
2: Yeah. I think all of that is fair. I think the reason why I am slightly more positive on PSG is is because when we have seen them at this stage in the Champions League in the knockout round in seasons past, there is a complacency to them and there is almost an expectation of, like, you know who we have in this lineup, right? Like, why are you guys even trying to play? Oh, you've scored three? Like, oh, we didn't see that coming. that's That was a surprise to us. And in this game, I agree with everything you said. I don't think they were particularly impressive in the first half. I think Sociedad caused them a lot, excuse me, La Real, caused them a lot of problems. Um, But I think it was a different PSG in my mind in that there wasn't noticeable infighting. There wasn't noticeable frustration. There was a a grind to the way they played. There was a backing of the individual. But they also, I just felt like sort of kept going, kept sending numbers forward, kept trying to create opportunities and back themselves to get the win, and they did just that. When you have that front line of Barcola, Mbappe, and Dembele, especially when Dembele looks the way he does, as you said, Joe, I don't know how you can really nullify all three of those, Mm. especially when I saw at times, or most of the time in the second half, PSG's attacking shape was a 3-3-4, with Barcola spread wide on the left, Dembele spread wide on the right, Mbappe in the middle with, can anyone tell me the other, uh, like, central attacker for PSG
4: for most of the second half? Well, sort of, we saw Zaire Emery and Vitinha both push forward, right? And Hakimi as well from that right side. Hakimi
2: is yeah. the answer. Hakimi was almost a second striker for most of the second half. He is routinely sprinting into the middle. And I kept seeing him, like, 10 yards apart from Mbappe, which maybe is a little bit of improvisation, but is maybe also get that front four together. And I don't know how you stop them from scoring. I think it's a credit to Luis Enrique. That Not only do they get the win, again, hearing everything you all have said about how it wasn't particularly emphatic, but it's also worth noting when you look at the bench and the injuries, And there's basically a starting 10 there. You've got Kimpembe, Nuno Mendes, uh, Milan Skriniar, uh, Levin Krizawa, and Kaylor Navas. Uh, excuse me, those, the first four were, uh, out with injury. Navas was on the bench. Gonzalo Ramos, Carlos Soler, Nordi Mukiele, Luca Hernandez, and then Randall Kolo uh, the latter two do make substitute appearances in this game. But it feels to me like he is, he, Luis Enrique, Is playing the players that he wants to play, that fit the style he wants, that have responded well in training, and he's not afraid to bench big-name players or big-money players and, and only give them limited opportunities until they sort of buy in or perform the way he wants them to. It's just a more effective PSG that seems to have a manager in place who's actually getting a response, and I don't feel like we've seen that from them in recent memory.
3: Where I side with Joe a little bit is, I don't think we saw the kind of sustained performance. I'm actually going to, this is going to swing back around to then agreeing with you on another point. Boys, (laughs) boys. (laughs) And where I agree with Joe is we didn't really see like the sustained performance that we would associate with Luis Enrique as as a manager, even in the second half where things didn't improve. And I'll I'll come onto that a little bit later on because I find that really, really interesting. But there were, to agree with you a bit, Taylor, I think there There were things that they certainly did better, and you could see like little subtle tweaks and good coaching moments and I think the second goal kind of sums that up where it's the sort of thing that they weren't doing in the first half when they, they moved quickly through two players with like 30-yard, 25-yard passes from Dembele in a deep area on the right out, out to Bradley Barkla on the left and then he's in a, a one-on-one situation. I think a factor in there is, I mean, I did see a big drop-off from Real Sostad in terms of their pressing. I think if that happens in the first half, they are swarming Dembele when he's getting on the ball in that, that deep area. But nonetheless, it was an improvement. I just, I just find PSG really interesting at the moment. And, and this game is kind of a, was, was a statement sort of on them under Lucho right now, where they are capable of playing the way he wants in some moments, in some games. And I think we see it more in Ligue 1 where there's obviously the, the kind of talent advantage that they've got. But in the Champions League, he's still, he's having to compromise. And at times it makes PSG, kind of like an antithesis of a Lucho team where they are playing on the break and getting Mbappe and Dembele into space I I enjoy watching it Lucho's um, Spain team I thought were too extreme, it was too much Lucho Mm -hmm. Um, it's like a director who's given too much you know, given carte blanche on a film and they just indulge themselves, It it feels like that what Spain was under Luis Enrique I enjoy watching this team more, as flawed as they are but it feels like they are still a team in transition and maybe next season we'll see them move closer to what Lucho wants in terms of like sustained possession in matches. Uh,
1: Graham, a quick question on L'Areal, How confident will they be in the second leg? Uh, they conceded as many goals in this game as they did the entire group stage. I feel like they didn't do an awful lot wrong in this game. And when they've got home advantage, is there a, is there a turnaround potentially for them in this tie? So when this draw
3: was made, I remember we talked about the draw. I, I I think a couple of us identified this as a potential banana skin for PSG. Mm-hmm. They had a really good first half of the season. El Real, as you mentioned, Ryan, they were unbeaten in their group and it was quite a challenging group. I think Inter was in that group, Porto were in in, in that group. It wasn't uh it wasn't a gimme, certainly, for them. They are in atrocious form right now. They haven't scored in five games, which is their longest goalless run going back to nineteen seventy three. Um, so what we saw from this game was quite similar to what we saw against Osasuna at the weekend. I watched a little bit of that game where yes, at times it feels like they're battering down the door and they're you know, they're their build-up player and approach play is really good and their energy is good and their pressing is really good. All the foundations are still there. I'm not too worried about them. I think there will be a correction at some point. But whether that correction happens to such an extent that they are able to turn around a 2-0 tie against PSG. And for that to happen within two weeks, I presume the second leg of this is in a fortnight, I'm I'm not so confident. I think they'll make it competitive, but I don't know if I would back them to turn it around.
1: All right, we'll see how that one rolls out in two weeks, as Graham says. Uh, Taylor, a general question about this Champions League uh, competition this year so far. Is it an issue or is there anything we can say about the quality of the knockouts when, let's say, Napoli and Barcelona, uh, the, the reigning champions of each country, they're not in the top form now liverpool mm. top of the premier league they're not in this competition at the moment a lot of the top teams in form right now are mm. going to be aren't in the champions league knockouts at this point that sounds is like that, an argument
3: for the super league
1: <laughs> yeah what if we have heritage teams that always get in that's what i'm saying is it, is it an issue for for uh, for this contest that it's it might not be the teams who are at their peak
2: I mean, I think that makes it potentially more interesting because then we could get some surprise teams in the quarters of the semis or maybe even the final. I feel also at the same time, though, like because we don't have as many of these strong, strong, strong teams as we usually do it ends up feeling like it's going to be Manchester City versus question mark with Manchester City winning. At this point, I won't be surprised if that's Real Madrid. I won't be surprised if that's PSG uh, in the final. I do think City look the most comprehensively solid team. But what, yeah, Ryan, to your point where I came away from this was thinking that we might get some deep runs from some teams we don't normally expect. If Lazio can, can get past Bayern Munich, that's already... A really strong season right there is to knock out Bayern Munich in the knockout round of the Champions League like I think that would be really interesting even though I am not the world's biggest Lazio fan if La Real were to uh to come back and make something happen I think that would be a fascinating story and and a great one for the Champions League so I think in some ways not having some of those teams there if you're not going to have all the best teams there playing at their absolute peak I think it's fun to have lesser heralded teams playing well and causing problems
1: if uh, Lazio Real Sausage Ed ends up being a knockout stage in the next round, I'm sure Cefaro will be uh, not celebrating the, uh, the the lack of blockbuster nature of that one.
2: It's like when we got uh, when everybody wanted like two two smaller teams in the FA Cup, and then there was like a Portsmouth Birmingham final or something like that, and it had
4: the worst <laughs> ratings did it! ever. It doesn't quite do it, quite, quite do it in the end. I don't. Yeah, think. I I got, I got one more thing on that, Ryan. It's an interesting question. And my first reaction was like, oh, maybe that is a little bit of a problem. And I, I think maybe you're right. I guess two very quick counterpoints in this in this hypothetical. Uh, first of all, who are the teams that we're missing? You mentioned Liverpool and Bayern Leverkusen is probably the other one. Yeah, that's that's probably it, right? Like we're we're not missing a ton. Bayern's in this thing, even though they're underperforming right now. Girona. PSG, PSG, Inter, <laughs> like. like <laughs> They're just all, all the good teams are here, except for Leverkusen, who are, are having themselves a really impressive season. If someone's surprising. Maybe? could you argue Milan? Uh, yeah, third in Syria. Like, fair. I, I don't. I don't know. So I, I just don't think it's that big of a problem to begin with. But the other challenges, even even if it was a big problem, how, how do you fix it? Right. Like, how do you Super do League. you decide champion? Yeah, Super League. So yeah. I, I just don't think there's any real simple way, at least, of getting you know that changed. I, I honestly think. We're still due for some heavyweights to continue to progress. I would have Man City, Real Madrid, PSG, and Bayern all getting through from this set of four games. And I think we're going to see some giants meeting them as well.
3: I I think there's a divide between this week's games and next week's games where I'm I'm looking through the four matches. I would say three of them are relative toss-ups. I'm not saying there aren't favorites in those three games. The only one you would say that is... You could make as maybe a bit of a foregone conclusion as Porto Arsenal, um, although Porto are, are, are going relatively well at the moment. But Inter Atletico Madrid, that's quite a difficult one to call. That might be the the, the pick of the whole round in terms of unpredictability. PSV Dortmund, I mean PSV don't have their one hundred percent records yeah. uh, anymore in the Eredivisie, but they're a good team. And then Napoli Barcelona, Napoli and Barcelona both having poor seasons, but in a weird way that that makes that tie more interesting in a sense.
2: Inter-Atletico is like the unstoppable force meeting the immovable object, and then PSV Dortmund is the stoppable force meeting yeah. the movable object. It's, it's quite the opposite, which makes it equally compelling, I would say.
1: Wow, what a what a, what a a couplet of games those two are, Taylor. Yin and Yang. Wonderful. I, got I, refuse, a couplet, to adult
2: this. I refuse to indulge this. It's not the Europa Conference, so it's not a couplet.
1: Very good. All right, well, let's wrap up this Champions League roundup, shall we? Taylor Rocco, thank you very much for your contributions, as always, my little couplet.
2: <laughs> thank you, my big couplet.
4: I hate this.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Graham Rutland, thank you very much indeed.
4: Thank you, Ryan Bailey.
1: And Joe Lowry, pleasure as always, my good G- man.
4: Guys, we almost had a normal outro. Almost. Nope. We'll get it sometime. <laughs> this was great. Thanks, Ryan.
1: No, while I'm around. No, while I'm the Sheriff, Joe. Thank you very much, <laughs> stuff for joining us on this one. We'll be back on the feed very shortly, but for now. Bye.